Father in heaven, we come with expectation. We come with longing. We come because you have promised to meet us. And on this Sabbath, we invite your spirit to be with us, whether we are at home, whether we are on the road, uh, whether we are with friends or whether we are by ourselves. We pray that you will meet us. We pray that you will speak to us. And we ask that these next few moments uh, may be moments where heaven is brought closer to earth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. In 2012, I met twins, Matt and John. These twins had grown up in the salubrious climes of Tillamook, Oregon, and we met at Auburn Academy where I was the boys' dean. Now these boys uh, challenged me in many different ways. When they were in the dorm, they challenged me. When they were on the basketball course, they bruised me. When we were in the gym, there was competition and we became friends. Now, when we all had left the academy, a few years later, they contacted me and said they wanted to have Bible studies. And so we had Bible studies with no particular end in mind. We went our different ways again. And then this summer, they hunted me down and they said, Dean Bakai, we need to get baptized. We need to make a public declaration of what has been growing in our lives. Can we get baptized? I said, sure, we can do that. When? And they said, I don't know, next week. And it just so happened that I was going to be at Rosario. So they joined me at Rosario and they were baptized on a frigid, bright, sunny Sabbath morning. They had a few friends who came to witness this happy event. And one of the friends came to this happy event with this camera, a contacts camera with a 35 millimeter lens. And this camera, for those of you who have grown up in a digital age and are unaware of analog things, this camera does not have a touch screen. This camera, when you take a picture, you cannot see it. In fact, this camera has film. And when you take a picture, you have to wait days, sometimes weeks, before you can get the camera to give you the pictures. And so the pictures were taken, and we were happy. I asked for copies of this uh, pictures of the baptism, and I was happy when a few weeks later I received the pictures and in glorious beauty. I think the next slide may show us this picture. Perhaps not. Maybe it will be later in our sermon. Today marks the beginning of our new series, a series called Songs of Expectation, because you see in the Advent story, there are a number of songs, and we're going to look at these songs as a portal into this time of waiting, this time of longing, this time of expectation that is the season of Advent. And yet ours is a culture that abhors waiting for anything. In contemporary society, speed is no longer a luxury. It's now a commodity. And it's made the transition from being a nice to have to a need to have. 
Apps have changed the way in which we live and make reservations for restaurants and in the ways in which we stream films and documentaries to watch and waiting for more than two days to receive a package that we have bought takes Herculean uh, bouts of strength on our part. The marketplace of emotion, anticipation in our lives is tolerated but fulfillment is king. And when you take a picture with an analog camera and you have to wait for the film to be developed, that process exercises the flaccid muscles of anticipation. When you take a picture with a camera and wait for the film to be developed and you wait for the prints to be made. It carries in that moment a unique tension between the past where the picture was taken and between the future and the present when you are waiting for that picture to arrive. And you're waiting for the reliving of that moment where the picture was taken. And for some of you, when you think about Advent, and especially for those who grew up in a Protestant denomination, Advent sometimes seems to make very little sense. After all, why should we spend weeks pretending that Jesus is about to be born? We know he has been born. So why go through the pretense? Why go through these steps of waiting, of anticipating, of longing for a birth which has happened thousands of years ago? And I think Advent is a lot like waiting for pictures to develop. Advent is this dynamic tension between the past and the future in a way that fills us with hopeful anticipation in the present. Advent is a dynamic tension between the past and the future in a way that fills us with hopeful anticipation in the present. Advent is like opening a freshly developed set of photographs and allowing the past and the future to amaze us again as if the arrival of Jesus were happening for the very first time. Advent takes imagination. And Marguerite de Vega puts it this way, that Advent, in fact, is not a denial, but a darkroom. It is a chance to allow the fullness of God's love to develop in our lives and to be revealed in glorious technicolor. And speaking of darkrooms, I think perhaps this next slide is the slide of the twins as we go into the cold, frigid waters at Rosario Beach. Maybe it's going to come later. And if you have a Bible nearby, I'm going to invite you to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. You can pick that up on your app. You can read that on your laptop. But join me in Luke 1, 5 to 7. And Luke, the careful writer, tells us this, that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and degrees 
blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. It's a fascinating story. Zachariah is a priest and he marries Elizabeth, who was also the daughter of a priest. And priests in those days were part of the social elite. And yet, when you read the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah in Luke chapter 1, you find that they issued the glitz and glamour that many of the priests had accrued and accustomed themselves to. They chose not to live in the elite quarters of Jerusalem where all of the other priests lived. In fact, they didn't even live in um, Jericho, the luxurious city of the Palms. Instead, the Bible tells us, Luke tells us in Luke 1.39, that they lived in some obscure backwater village in the hilly region, region south of Jerusalem. But God describes them as being righteous and blameless. And yet, they were childless. A problem, or perhaps a decision in 2020, that would uh, merit very little commentary from anyone, but in first century Palestine, to be childless was to have the potential hint of divine disfavor in your life. To be childless in first century Palestine was to become the cause of a thousand whispers about why you had no child. And Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years. A very uh, technical phrase that was only applied to people over the age of 60. And many men in Zachariah's position in first century Palestine had made liberal use of divorce laws. Uh, Divorce laws that allowed men to divorce their wives if they burnt the food, if they raised their voice, if they did anything displeasing to them, and particularly if they did not give them a child. But yet we find them over the age of 60, faithful to God, righteous and blameless, and still married. Zachariah loves Elizabeth. Elizabeth loves Zachariah, and God loves them both. And then one day as Zachariah is in the temple and he is fulfilling his priestly duty, we're told that the angel Gabriel came to him terrifying Zechariah and saying this in Luke chapter 1, 13 to 17, this visitation, it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And yet, Zechariah's next words, after such an incredible visitation from God, after such an incredible answer to prayers they had been given, Zechariah's next words after this are not wonderful. His next words are not hallelujah. His next words are not praise God. Instead, Luke uh, says that he says this, he says, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. In fact, Zachariah is just given polite incredulity in his reply. But in his heart, I'm sure Zachariah was in fact thinking, how? Zachariah was probably thinking, no way. And Zachariah was thinking, this is nuts. I must have eaten something. How can I be here over the age of 60? And how is there an angel telling me that we are going to have a son? He's probably thinking, am I going to pay for my children's clothing with my retirement checks? Am I going to take my kid to kindergarten with a walking stick? Am I going to pick him up from play dates, not knowing if my knees will lock out? What is happening? God has just told us that he is a righteous and a blameless man. How can he react so poorly to the promise of God? And this is the place that in my reading, and I think in our collective reading of this text, during the season of Advent, we have to move from reading the Bible and allow by the power of the Spirit for the Bible to read us. What do you mean, Andreas? What I mean is that Zachariah's reaction is similar to the kind of disbelief and skepticism which grows around December as we enter Advent, as we look forward to the inbreaking of Christ in this world as a baby, as we think about Christ coming into our life, we have similar reactions to Zechariah when God speaks to us. And it is a condition that I think has become even more acute and prevalent in 2020. You know the questions that we ask. Uh, we ask as we come into Advent, after such a difficult and fraught year, we, we may be asking whether it's tacitly or explicitly, peace on earth, this, this earth. We can't even agree on the outcome of a national election. Peace on earth. What's hopeful about this season when I couldn't see my family over Thanksgiving? When my family's budget is no longer balancing because of furloughs, because of job cuts, because of wage garnishes, and I'm barely able to keep my life together. Joy, gladness, me, do you know how much I've lost in 2020? How could this possibly be true? Maybe this year I'll just skip that entire Advent story, all of that joy and gladness and hope and anticipation of Christmas. Maybe we will just skip it this year because God knows it's 2020. And it's true. When your emotions feel like a whirlwind of chaos, of fear, of anxiety, of frustration, 
when the good news of Jesus comes to us, we can hardly believe it. In fact, it becomes difficult for us to dismiss it as anything other than wish fulfillment. And it seems too far-fetched, too wild, too hard to reconcile. And so when we hear the inbreaking of Christ and we read the story of Advent, like Zechariah, we're not saying, praise God, hallelujah, wonderful. Instead, we're saying, can this be? Instead, we're saying, no way. Instead, we're saying, this is crazy. This is too far-fetched. And then we find the response And what happens after Zechariah is unable to believe the good news and the promise that heaven has given to him. We read in Luke 1, 19 and 20, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news, this gospel to you. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent unable to speak until the day when these things happen. My word, Zachariah the priest, Zachariah the preacher, Zachariah the clergy loses his voice, his primary tool for work. And for many of you, if you are not in a line where you have to speak much or speaking uh, is a terrifying prospect for you, this may not really hit you in the same way that for, for me as a preacher that it hits. But I think, for example, about uh, Grant Ackett's. Uh, Grant Ackett, this gentleman right here, if you've watched uh, Chef's Table, you may have seen an episode with Grant Ackett, um, the head chef of three Michelin, uh, three-star Michelin restaurant, Alinea, in Chicago. And it's the kind of place where you go and you have a 23-course meal and they charge you $500. You know, that kind of place. And he's a head chef. And one day, uh, as Akits is making food, his sous chefs and others who work with him said, Grant, I think you've put too much salt in this. And he looked at them, you know, of course, incredulous. I'm the head chef. I'm the one who made Alinea wonderful. And you are going to question my taste buds. But it happened over and over again. He would oversalt his food. He would undersalt his food. And then Grant realized that he was losing his sense of taste. He went to the doctor and they found that he actually had uh, cancer and was diagnosed with stage four tongue cancer that was growing on both sides of his neck. And the doctor said, Grant, the only way we can help you with this is by cutting out your tongue. We'll try and replace it. You know, we'll find a muscle from somewhere else in your body and replace your tongue, but we have to cut it out. The cancer is going to kill you. Now, now can you imagine what it's like to be told that the main organ where you perform everything is going to be cut out? Can you imagine an organist without fingers and feet? Can you imagine an artist trying to paint with no limbs? Can you imagine a chef with no tongue? And so in desperation, he reached out to friends and was able to uh, become part of a clinical trial where they used chemotherapy and radiation on his tongue. 
and he was petrified, petrified, but anything was better than having his tongue cut out. When he did the uh, chemo and the radiation, it burnt his taste buds and he could taste nothing for months and he was depressed. But after the treatment was finished and the cancer went into remission, he started to notice that his taste buds started coming back slowly. His perception of different flavor combinations, sweet and salty and bitter, came back one flavor at a time. And in an interview that Grant uh, gave, he said, I started from zero and the first thing back was sweet. So my palate developed just as a newborn, but I was 32 years old. So I could understand how flavors were coming back and how they synergized together. It was, a very, it was very educational for me. I don't recommend it, but I think it made me a better chef because now I really understand how flavor works. And as soon as I read this interview and as I came to the text in Luke, I thought this is what was happening to Zachariah. I think this, or, or at least something that approximate this happened to Zachariah when he lost his tongue. Because over the next nine months, as Elizabeth watched as life grew in her belly, as she felt the flutter of the baby and then the kick of the baby, I think Zachariah grew in wisdom in his silence. In the quiet of his mind, he had time to reflect and time to think. Maybe Zachariah was given a leave of absence from his priestly duties. Maybe he had more time to spend away from Jerusalem and in the quiet of his hill country south of Jerusalem. Maybe he had time to reflect on his future life with his little boy. And maybe, maybe Zachariah realized that silence from the angel was not a curse but after all, it was a remedy. Maybe Zachariah realized that silence was not a curse, but it was a remedy. And when the time came to name his boy, instead of following the normal patronomic tradition of naming his son after himself so he would become junior, we find Luke telling us that Zachariah picks up a tablet, asked for a writing implement, and he writes on this tablet, his name is John. And at that moment, a warm sensation enveloped his throat. His silent tongue woke from its gestational slumber, and his dormant vocal cords burst into new purposeful life. And Luke records the amazing song of praise that Zachariah offered God in gratitude for the gift of his son and for the healing of his tongue and in acknowledgement of what he would do. Luke 1, 76 to 79, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins. 
And because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's a beautiful song. It's deep, it's rich, it's resonant with so much. And it erupted from Zachariah's mouth after a period of deep and abiding silence. Is there a lesson for us to learn as we enter Advent, as we enter a season of longing expectation for the Christ child? When Zachariah burst into his song and he paints this picture of Christ who sends us hope and who rescues the world, I think that Zechariah is able to give such beautiful, poetic words because of his silence. And I think that maybe for all of us in this Advent season, there is a lesson for us. There is a lesson for all of those of us who are religious, who have been in church our whole lives, who have been too distracted in the present reality to believe that this year, this Advent in 2020, that Christ may be up to something and that there may be a message and a gift that he can still give to us in our present lives. And maybe one of the lessons that we can learn is that the Holy Spirit often employs silence as a teacher. That silence conveys lessons that we miss because of the noise and the busyness of our lives. Whether you are a student who just crawled over the finish line and who struggled with taking classes online, whether you're a parent struggling with a a newborn and a toddler or a teenager or a college student, whether you have been at loggerheads at work with a colleague or with a supervisor or manager who does not seem to be on the same page as you, whether you have been frantically trying to burn the candle at both ends to make the budget work, whether you have just been too busy, many of us might come to realize, like Zachariah, that silence is a teacher, a teacher employed by God. And so this Christmas, I'm sure that our to-do list maybe have become a little smaller. Maybe we have less parties to organize, less presents to buy. Maybe there's less events to attend, less costumes to sew for nativity plays, less food to cook in preparation of less guests. But we have to be careful because there may be more Zoom calls to attend. Cards to mail, pictures to take, busyness and noise can quickly overtake us. But what if this Advent, this Advent in this year, 2020, we accept 
the moments of silence that come to us as opportunities to create room in our hearts for the indwelling of the Spirit. And I believe that each day, because our God is alive and our God is not entombed in the past, because our God is alive in the present, that each day there are divine messengers that are sent to us with, with solace and with help from heaven. It may not be as um, incredible as the message that Zachariah got from Gabriel. It may not be lights, it may not be theophanies, but there are messages being sent to us. Messages that we often only hear as a faint whisper because we are too busy to stop and to listen. But maybe this year, maybe this Advent, we can reframe the inevitable disappointment for many of us of less holiday gatherings, of not being able to see all the people we love, of not being able to travel and go to Canada like we normally would or go to the South like we might or have gone to California, but we might take the inevitable loss and disappointment and we receive the silence as a teacher and this year anticipate the gift of God and hear the good news of Christ coming in our life. The good news that when Christ embraces in our life, there is always new possibilities. There is new hope. There are new futures. There is new life when Christ enters our hearts. And I think that this is that long-awaited and expected picture of these twins on that frigid day in Rosario making the decision to accept Christ who had broken into their lives years ago and for whom slowing down and hearing his voice allowed them to respond. And I pray that for you today, you might also like Zachariah hear the voice of God and in the silence be taught how to make room in your heart for the Christ child. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.